Hello and welcome to Surveyor Says, the podcast from the National Society of Professional Surveyors. Each week, we bring you fascinating guests that are involved in the profession of surveying. We cover a lot of ground, including table lay talk with Gary Kent, point of order with the NSPS Joint Government Affairs Team, future focus, highlighting current and future leaders of the profession, and everything survey-related in between. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast and hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Surveyor Says. Hello and welcome to another episode of Surveyor Says. Yes, this is Tim Birch. Uh, Kurt Sumner's been uh, holding down the fort for quite a while. Uh, I've been a little bit out of commission. Uh, we've been going back and forth with some things, but uh, we're back at it. And of all things, uh, we're going to get right back into our series of what is surveying. And because it means so much, so many different things to different people, um, we had, we've had our, our previous uh, episodes. Well, let's get back to some a little more of the basics. Let's talk about where a lot of surveying has come to rely upon some things that you know, it's that voodoo, it's that black magic stuff, uh, the geodesy side of it. And who better to talk to about this than, uh, no, wait a second. Let me, before I, before I fully get into this, Dave, it is encouraged to uh, have all the bootleg Grateful Dead stuff, right? It's encouraged. <laughs> so, yes. I, so I, okay, we're talking about, talking to Mr. Dave Doyle, of course, but how many, how, how much time megabytes gigabytes maybe at this point it's terabytes how much information of recordings of grateful dead concerts do you have oh it it knocks on the it it does a job on a terabyte uh, uh <laughs> external drive yeah and it's funny I'll, I'll carry it around with me when i go to a, a a state conference i'll i'll throw that in my in my briefcase and every once in a while Something will get said, and you know you're sitting around the uh, malt shop at the uh, yes. a, a, after a session, and something will come up, and and somebody there will will make a comment that oh yeah I like the dead too, and I can just reach in my bag and I hand them the the, the drive, and I said here you take it home, you copy it, and send it back to me when you're done, you know pass it pass it forward. Sure, so, sure. Well, I want to at least throw that out there for the, our listeners that 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 well I'm hoping. All of our listeners uh, know who you are and, and uh, what what professionally you've uh, you've given to this uh, to everything that's surveying, but uh, just to also st just wanted to lay some of that groundwork of this is where hardcore geodesists come from is from the <laughs> Grateful Dead and that era. So uh, let, let's keep that in mind as we go forward here. Uh, to tell you what, you know, for those who do, like I say, for those who don't know your background, give us a little, just a kind of a Cliff's, ver Cliff's Notes version of how you got into this whole geodesy thing. Where did this all start? Well, I got drafted. Oh. Um, thank you, Uncle yeah. Sam. Uh, yeah, thank you, Uncle Sam. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, summer of 1967, I was just graduating from high school and uh, quite literally come home from the graduation ceremony. And there's a letter in the mail saying, uh, hey, we're having a party. You're invited. You don't get to say no. Oh, and um, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm 18 years old and truly dumb as a bag of bricks. I, you know, I'm, I don't know anything about the world. Uh, I was a really fortunate guy. You know, like so many surveyors have said they got into it because their dad was a surveyor, grandfather, uncle, blah, 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 something like that. Mine was very similar to that, except that my dad 
had just retired from the army as a photogrammetrist. Oh, and yes. we looked, yeah, yeah, literally just within like two years. And so dad sat me down and he said, look, here's the deal. Um, he says, if you take the draft notice, you're going to go in for two years. They're going to put you in the, in the infantry and very likely, you know, within 10 months, you might come home in a bag. Uh, he says, but if you enlist, take a third year. Um, he says, we can get you into a school and, and just maybe you'll live through this whole thing. And like, well, that sounded pretty good to me. And, and of course, you know, I had no idea what to do. So, you know, dad just looked at me and said, look, you know, in high school, I was, you know, big guy in the math club and the astronomy club, that kind of stuff. And he just went math, astronomy, surveyor. And, and I'm like, sure, dad, whatever you say. It might as well, it could, from, from my perspective then, it could just as easily have been underground mess kit repair. Sure. <laughs> what did I know? I, I didn't know any of this stuff. Um, but he, he still had buddies um, over at the Army's uh, uh Topo Surveying School at Port Melbourne. He made a few phone calls, and he had it, he had the whole thing set up. And he drove me down to the recruiting office, and he literally did all that. And then they put me on a bus and went to boot camp. And well, then the you know the rest be history, as it were. Nice. You know, I spent three years. I spent three years in, mostly in Europe uh, doing astro work. You know, which was just awesome. You know, I'm out all night. And I'm doing. I'm tracking stars and drinking wine and and eating schnitzel, which was life was good. You know, um, and you know when I got out three years later, I got out and I liked the geodesy thing. I thought that was really pretty cool. Uh, and there just happened to be a geodesy program at George Washington University here in D.C. at that time. It's long gone now, um, but I enrolled in that and um, all the all the instructors in the geodesy courses, they all worked at NGS. And um, I had a minor technical argument with one of my first instructors, professors, whatever you want to call them, um, and of all things about plane tabling. And uh, we sat down and we argued about this one particular point after uh, at the end of a class. And he was the one that hired me in, into the survey. Oh, wow. Um, to, to work in the information center and after that i just i just got lucky i just got lucky i mean timing was perfect uh, so many things were going on we we built the new datum in ad83 um i had opportunities to go in the field and be part of triangulation and leveling and astro and there was a lot of flexibility back then the, you know, the agency doesn't have that now uh, but back then, you know, you could you could take somebody who was who was, you know, low on a totem pole like me and just move them around and you could get the, the perspective on what was happening. And it, it wasn't until I got brought into the, the, quote, geodesy side that is doing all the computations, running big network adjustments and that kind of stuff um, that I was put in a position to be not only doing adjustments, but also being an, a, a connection with um, the user community which circa 1974 was, was pretty small. Yes, it would have been. But yeah, really small. But at the time, the, the guy who was basically chief scientist, he, he got me into his office and he said, look, here's the deal. Um, he said, when that phone rings, he says, there's only one of two people on the other end. He said, a surveyor or your wife. That's it. You know, nobody else calls us. Nobody knows who we are, you know? And he says, when a surveyor calls you, I don't care what you're doing for NGS. I don't care how, how important the project is you're doing, blah, blah, blah. He says, whatever you're doing, it stops. He says, because back then, I mean, this is obviously long before the Internet, long right. before ways you could find out where everybody is. He said, you know, the average surveyor who calls us often goes through uh, 
50 phone calls just to find out who we are, right. even though the mark says, you know, hey, write for, for, for information, blah, blah, blah. But nobody, you know, nobody had uh, phone, um, uh, phone numbers back then uh, that, that got passed around. He said, by the time that guy gets to you and he's got a problem, he says, he says, I'll guarantee you one thing. He says, he's probably already losing money. He says, whatever his problem was, he tried to figure it out. He couldn't figure it out. He talks to his buddies. They couldn't figure it out, or he was getting conflicting information, and somebody will tell him, oh, well, call, call Coast Survey, call NGS. And, and then by the time he goes through 10 or 15 phone numbers to, to you know, find somebody, uh, you know, this, this guy who was the chief, Joe Dracup, he was big time in ACSM. Joe was a god in ACSM. There's a scholarship for Joe. Yep. Um, and, and Joe said, look, you just stop everything. You, you help that guy. You get him figured out. He says, I don't care if it's something we did, if it's something USGS did or the BLM or Park Service. I don't care. He said, you just stop. Your job will sit there and wait. You take care of that guy, so he, so he he doesn't bleed as much, you know, on you know to to get his his function done. And I'm like, yeah, okay, dear, you know, I'm, that's what I'll do. And boy, it was absolutely the best advice I ever got. Very good. Uh, and and it, it I, in 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 truth, it set the tone. I like to think for pretty much everything I did in the next forty years. So, well, I you, had a great run. You've been a. Uh hell of a civil servant let's just say that so uh, we, we appreciate you. that I appreciate all that. um oh let's take let's take us back to say the the early to mid 70s and a, mm -hmm. a surveyor that needed to for whatever reason needed to come up with a state plane coordinate for sure. whatever uh a new smokestack or something mm, yep yep tell us what i mean what what was the process to go through to derive a state plane coordinate to be able to throw something up like that. Oh, oh sure. Oh, yeah. Um, unlike today, where, if, you know, if you were blessed by your creator with a, a basically an index finger and you could punch a button and you can get whatever you want, you know, back then, you, you first of all, you had to find the number for the NGS Information Center. And typically we had two of us that manned that information center. And they were warm bodies, two warm bodies. So when you call that number, you got a warm body. You didn't get one of these things that moved you around on the telephone. But the surveyor would say, ah, I need some horizontal or vertical control in such and such an, uh, an area. And, of course, back then, all the data was in paper. It, had, it was all in paper form in these big booklets, these what we call quadrangles. And you'd talk to the surveyor, kind of figure out where they are. Okay, got it. And, and then you could go back and, into, a, into a big shelf and find the data and put it in an envelope and, and send it to them. And, you know, typically from the time the phone call was initiated till the time he had data in his hands could easily be four or five days. And then if they actually had to compute state plane coordinates, mm. which was, you know, not not difficult, not really terribly difficult, uh, but it did take a little bit of, of a conscientious um, effort. And we actually had books. Every state, every state had what we referred to as the blue book. Now, today, the blue book means surveyors submitting data to NGS. Right. But back then, there were these little blue publications that had the state plane coordinate projection tables for every state. And you'd include one of those, and it had an example right there in the front, and you'd send it off to the guy. And, and then you'd say, look, when you get this thing, work through it, work through the example, and if you have any trouble, call us back. 
and if and we'll walk you through it. And boy, there were hundreds of times you oh, know, when sure. some surveyor would call back and go, I, I don't get this part, you know, and talk to me about a scale factor or how do I get this, this what we then call the sea level reduction factor. The, now we call it the ellipsoid reduction factor. And, and so at least for me personally, that really set a tone of, of under, beginning to understand how much they or how, actually how little how little what was what we now call the national spatial reference system actually played into the effort of most land surveying it was really pretty minor well at ngs it was our whole world right it was, it was our nine to five but to the average surveyor it came up once in a great while exactly. obviously obviously gps and probably more importantly gis changed all of that all right. Because, you know, and I've, I brought it up many times. You know, some surveyor gets a gets a contract to go out and do a boundary, and mm -hmm. you've got a parcel that somebody wants to um, uh, to develop. They certainly want to know about the boundary. They want to know any encumbrances on the boundary. They want to know all the things to do with the boundary. Where that parcel is on the surface of the earth? Yeah, pretty much nobody cares. You know, not the, the guy who owns the parcel doesn't care, the surveyor doesn't care, and, the, and whoever owns the parcel doesn't want to pay the surveyor to tell them that, okay, it's here on the surface of the earth. That's just not relevant. Right. To, to, you know, and, and it's only through the development of GIS, like Brent was talking about and, right. and Linda was talking about, that now we have these requirements from federal, state, and local government, uh, and now surveyors have to do that. And increasingly, because of, of how robust GPS—not uh, GPS, GIS—has become, you know, it's, it's no longer run on on big mainframe computers like it was back in the in the 70s. Now it's it's literally in your phone or in a in a, in a laptop, right? You know, and it's easy. It's relatively easy to run. So it, it permeates all of our our uh, infrastructure and, and what we do. But understanding how it all fits together, that's always been, from my perspective, kind of a weak point. Exactly. Well, and that was part of what, you know, in, 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 in talking about this is, uh, okay, so NGS is, is locked, locked away there outside of D.C. You got a room full of nerds doing all of this, all of these calculations, <laughs> all these calculations. Um, you know, like you said, spotting stuff on basically on 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 the surface of the earth, and really nobody really cares up until a point. Uh, yeah. What was your first? I mean, I guess when GPS first came on the scene, when it was first discussed and talked about, and the the availability of having some black box to go out and do, you know, create this this latitude longitude location. Um, for somebody that you know in, that's in that business, that had to be like mind blowing. I mean, even more more so than just you know the surveyor picking up his his, his receiver. I mean, this is this was uh, just revolutionary stuff. Oh yeah, well you know GPS did not just appear one day. Right. I mean, we had a long lead into it. You have to go all the way back, literally back to, to the launch of Sputnik um, by the Soviet Union. In fairly short order after the launch of Sputnik, some scientists at um, Johns Hopkins uh, Applied Physics Lab outside of Baltimore, they were the first to develop the orbits of 
the, the, the Sputnik satellite. The Russians didn't do it, um, or the Soviets didn't do it. Um, we did it, and, uh, these guys under contract to the Navy. And in fairly short order, people working for the Navy figured, wow, if we have a satellite in space and we know its orbit, we can do things to tell us where we are. And so that really all began with the launch of Sputnik. And by 1959, uh, the Navy, very much behind closed doors, you know, and this stuff wasn't part of in the public domain. Uh, they were developing what became known as the, the transit system, the Doppler. We often call it Doppler. Mm -hmm. And by the mid-60s, Doppler, I mean, it had been operational for, for quite a number of years with the Navy, mostly to for uh, positioning nuclear submarines and a few other things. Um, but they released it to, to the public in 67, and almost immediately we could start to see advantages. Now we could position ourselves without having to worry about line of sight between two stations. Now we could never, you could never, you could never survey from North America to Europe because, well, I don't care how big a tower you built on either end, you, you can't, you can't see each other. Uh, we, we couldn't see, you know, you, you had to have a different datum in Puerto Rico because you can't build a tower big enough in Florida to see Puerto Rico or California right. to see Hawaii. So each of these areas had their own datums, and, and historically that's what had happened. But Doppler changed all that, and Doppler was really sort of the daddy, if you will, of, of GPS. Uh, the, the Navy and the Defense Department learned a lot about, satellite, about positioning satellites through the Doppler system. And, of course, first GPS satellite gets launched in 78. And while I had personally worked a bit with Doppler. It was one of those things, at least at the time, no matter how long you sat there, your positional integrity was not going to be much better than about one meter. Yeah, okay. You know, which in in terms of, of the geodesy, it worked great because we have a big country and even though you do the best triangulation, right. invariably mathematically things are going to start to to wander after a while. So we would strategically use the Doppler to help us control error um, across the United States. That was part of the uh, NAD83. But you would never use it. You wouldn't go out and use it to, let's say, put in a, a community network uh, to support a GIS because every station would have a, a meter uncertainty. In right. It. And you could easily do way better than that with a, you know, with a, a well, back then with an EDM and a, and a T2, uh, today with a total station. But it led into GPS. And when we started, when we started looking at the first GPS work, we, the mm -hmm. NGS actually did the first practical GPS survey anywhere in the world, um, late 82 or early 83, Summit County, Ohio. Uh, we were absolutely stunned, stunned with the results. Um, I, I think everybody thought it was going to be better. We knew it was going to be better. But I don't think any of us were truly prepared for how much better it was. Right. And right. I know even even at that point in time, 72, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, 82, 83, I still thought we would be doing triangulation at least through the end of my, my career. And by 1984, it was done. Actually, by 83, it was done. We knew that. And and so GPS just changed everything in such a short period of time. Um, of course, back then, receivers cost, well, in case of the first receivers we bought, they were a quarter of a million dollars, mm -hmm. V1000s. And then they were, oh, they dropped all the way down to 115,000. You know? <laughs> yeah. Average survey, average survey, yeah, the average surveyor wasn't going to, wasn't going to buy that stuff. What was interesting to me to watch was having kind of, quote, grown up, if you will, in the transition with EDM 
I mean, I ran big EDM, the geometers right. and telurometers when I was in the service. And when I came to NGS, of course, the agency had that stuff. But the average surveyor didn't even have an EDM back then. Right. It didn't didn't exist because they were so big and they were cumbersome and they were expensive and you, they just didn't they weren't for practical purposes. And then HP uh, introduces the 3800 in 1969, and boom, that opens it up. Every year, there'd be a new EDM, either well, we'd be at the ACSM conference or maybe you'd be at a state conference or whatever, and HP had the first one, and then next year there was another one, and after that another, so you have instruments like the Beetle and the DI-10 and others right. that surveyors would recognize. But now it put geodetic measurements in the hands of the average surveyor, and it was tools like that that um, – really showed at NGS, we, we knew we had distortions in, in the old triangulation. Now, we, we knew they were there, uh, but now the surveyors could see them. They could actually go out and measure them. Right. Uh, and well, if, 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 you know, if, the, if the network is not better than what the average surveyor can do, then it doesn't mean anything. And the transit Doppler and the beginnings of GPS were all a part of that same thing. And I saw that with, with GPS, the surveyors would go, oh, I, I'm, we're never going to have that GPS. It's hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I'm like, yeah, no. The prices are going to come down, and pretty soon everybody's going to have one. And well, of course, that's where we are. Yeah. And now, and now, now there's a whole new. Oh, there's a whole new perspective. Um, you know, the U.S. is in the process of of um, launching Block Three. Block Three, and mm -hmm. yep, yeah, Block Three. Um, we'll have the sixth Block Three satellite go up, probably in the next couple of three or four months. Um, we anticipate uh, completion of Block Three by 2023. And when I give my workshops, I put up a picture of the HP 3800, and I call it a game changer because it put – like I said, it put geodesy in the hands of the average land surveyor. Well, when Block 3 is done uh, and is opened by the Air Force, I think that's another game changer. Uh, it's going to put high-accuracy geospatial positioning literally – in the hands of, well, in this country alone, 300 million plus people uh, at, at certainly better than a foot. And I, I'm highly optimistic about stuff. Everything I've ever seen happen with, with digital information, whether it's digital measurement systems, EDM, GPS, a computer, a phone, whatever it is, has always turned out to be way, way, way better than what everybody said it would be or thought it might be. Right. And I think the same thing with GPS-3. Uh, and not just GPS-3, we got to think, you know, there's already a group of people in the federal government who are talking about GPS follow-on. So this is where we're headed. You know, we have to, we have to embrace the fact that, that GPS-3 to me is you – know, GPS itself, first of all, Block 1, Block 2, and Block, and block 1 and Block 2 that we've been using up till now, they got us into it. They opened the door. Block 3 is uh, – Unleashing the hordes, if you will. <laughs> yes. And, and oh, yeah, I, I, that's, to me, it's a good way to put it because now you're going to have high accuracy positioning literally in the hands of millions of people. And they're able to share that data instantaneously and across the country, across the world. So things like the GIS and areas where surveyors in the past have had um, basically the kind of the world to themselves, if you will. And, you know, I've got high accuracy GPS and, oh, you've got a little handheld Garmin and you're only good to about five or six meters. I'm doing down to a couple of centimeters or tenth of a foot or whatever you want to use. Um, that's rapidly going to decrease. 
we're not going to see almost everybody having a couple of tenths of a foot. That that will I know that that's coming. Right. Whether it's a couple of years from now or five or eight years from now, that's coming. And to me, this is an incredible opportunity for the surveying community because now you can have all those same people making the same mistakes that have been made up until now. If if GPS had been the great panacea that everybody would like to think it is, which in most cases it is, you would never have occasion, and we've all seen this. When you go to any any surveyor conference and again sit around the mall shop, um, we've all heard the stories from one surveyor or another that uh, oh, you got a guy who's who's uh, whose company gets a, a contract for a project that's been ongoing for you know six months or a year or two years or whatever, and they get data from some other surveyor and they get state plane coordinates and or heights, whatever they get, and it's all done by quote GPS unquote oh, okay. And then they go in and do some work and they find, oh, their, their state plane coordinates don't match by 15 feet or their heights don't match by two and a half feet. I mean, pick a number. You know, the, right. the, the numbers right. aren't there endless. And everybody's like, well, how can this be? You know, I use GPS. The other guy used GPS. We all use GPS. Everything should fit within, you know, a, a tenth. Yeah. Uh, no. Um, regrettably, our community has um, sadly – not really paid attention to things like understanding just the basics of the geodesy, just the fundamentals. You, you don't have to go off to Ohio State and take an advanced degree in this stuff. But I think if you're going to push that button and utilize those numbers, um, as a professional, you're a professional. Right. You should understand them. And again, um, Brent stated it very well, statistical reliability. He, he said that. He, he, he phrased it that mm -hmm. way. I like that. And all of this stuff has it. All that information's there. Surveyors just have to know where it is. And it should be published. It should be part of any, anything that a surveyor submits. I don't care if it's state plank coordinates, lat long, UTM, whatever you want, uh, heights. Um, yep, all of that stuff uh, should have the appropriate metadata because without it, to me, it has all the value of a boundary line in Google Earth. You know, right, and I think everyone oh, exactly. can appreciate what that is. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Well, and I tell you what, you've kind of you've really teed it up for me here because part of it, and this is the reason we're doing this series of what is surveying. I think for a, and I won't say a majority of the surveying profession, but I think for a big chunk, they look at the the GPS side, the GNSS side, the state plane coordinates. You know, especially when you're out there dealing with contractors and now people yep. flying their own UAVs and doing all this other stuff. And they're like, no, 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 no. Those that geospatial data belongs to the surveying community <laughs> and which. Um, yeah, exactly. We're going to you and I are going to sit here and laugh about that. Um, and I think that's part of what, you know, hearing from your perspective. Surveyors don't own that data. But no. like you just said, we have a huge responsibility to know the accuracy, the reliability, and and, yep. and how it all fits together. Because you're exactly right that so many times still that I'm we're I'm still uh, sharing data with other with other uh, professionals, and yeah, it's not hitting within feet, and you got to go back and go well, you know. And granted, this is also a profession that can't agree on where to put a, a lot corner so we'll set another iron pipe two tenths away 
Um, but so, you know, when we're talking feet, that's a whole other thing. Um, yeah. Geospatial data, I guess, you know, like as you said, it doesn't belong to surveyors. It really doesn't belong to anybody, does it? No. no to me, it's it's universal. You know, um, Charlie Trimble is the one who said that GPS, now GNSS, is the next utility. You know, you walk in, you walk into a room, you flip a switch, and the light comes on. You never think about, well, how did the how did the energy, how did the electricity get to my switch? How does the switch work? And then how does the switch transfer that electricity up to these two light bulbs that are over my head? Nobody ever thinks about that. You know, it's it's you know, you, you come in, you flip the switch, the light comes on. Oh, okay, good. You know, I'm done. Right. So does that belong? It belongs to us all. All of these utilities belong to us all. They, they, they may have their own uniqueness in terms of the tools that are used, et cetera, et cetera. But we, we all rely on all of our utilities. And high accuracy positioning is certainly just another aspect of it. Every vehicle you buy now has GNSS built into it. Every cell phone has GNSS built into it. Every kid from probably the age of six on knows how to use Google. You know, so right. this is in the hands of, of everybody. Surveyors, of course, have a very unique responsibility, you know, and and, and um, Brent did did point that out, you know, that surveyors are the pretty much the only ones that, you know, can actually stand up, you know, legitimately in court, you know, for this. But I think we're gonna I think now again this is my perspective, that when you now have hundreds of millions of people that have access to this challenging the work that surveyors might do i think there we we could be approaching sometime in the future where that might very well change for our community and if we we the surveying community if we believe this is really uh important for us then i think we need to be functionally aware of it. We need to use institutions like NSPS, like the state associations, to a better educate all of our members, first of all, to make sure everybody's on the same page on this. Uh, do what we can to educate the, the public on a, on a lot of the specific issues that are important to us. Because we've all seen how technology technologies change overnight and they all of a sudden build whole new environments. Right. Whole other disciplines appear that, that weren't there before. You know? and, and if you, if you don't start to recognize it, and, and a, a big part of this, a big part of the new adjustment, the new datums that NGS is, gonna, is working on right now, came out of the fact that we, we could see, we know what's going to happen in mm -hmm. the future. And the agency said, look, we've got to be in a position to, to deal with that. We don't want to be like we did with NAD 83. We don't want to be seven or eight years behind the game. Right. We want to be right up with it. And when I look at, at this, what's going to happen, not only just with GPS-3, but also you add in the, the other constellations, the full GNSS, um, I certainly believe that, that the integrity of, of, of the positioning that's coming about that's going to be available to so many. Like you, you've pointed out, you've already pointed out, you've got people out there flying drones all over the place and doing what they want to do. Is that surveying? Well, you know, these are these are discussions that, that need to be had. Maybe some of them even legally need to be had. But in increasingly, the integrity and the requirement of those coordinates are going to be more paramount than they ever were. Right. I, I keep right next to my, right here next to my desk, I keep 
the priority, the dignity of calls. I keep a little sheet right here just to remind myself literally every day. And right there at the bottom, it says coordinates. Coordinates. <laughs> and it goes, goes through all the stuff, coordinates. I, I can contend, I do contend, that coordinates right up there with physical monuments should be, should be right there, right now. Because with, with some minor exceptions, I would think, there isn't a surveyor out there that actually goes out and runs the line anymore. You know, you're out in some place that's hilly and bumpy and you up and down. You're absolutely correct. <laughs> Nobody does that. You don't no. do that. You go out, you find the control. Hopefully you do the due, due diligence. Um, you find whatever control is there, and then you notice, okay, here are corners that need to be set. Nobody runs those lines directly into those unmonumented corners. They run a traverse. And whether they, they create a coordinate system of 10,000 by 10,000 or they use state plane coordinates or whatever they use, everything is done by a coordinate. And when they set those corners, they set them at a coordinate that they've computed as to where they believe is the appropriate place for that monument, whatever form it takes. So in my mind, the coordinate was there first. I mean, yes, you derived it from something else. Um, and we can certainly legitimately argue about those things, but ultimately the coordinate is there and it can be a tremendous attribute to right. um, the location of that point, which regrettably is not always captured. Right. And if that monument gets moved, somebody picks it up, some homeowner doesn't like where it is, well, I'm going to move it four feet over here because that's where I think it should be. Every survey is run through something like that. Uh -huh. You can always yeah. come back and say, uh-uh, no, no, no. You know, that monument was originally positioned to an accuracy of um, seven hundredths of a foot, and now it's three feet away. I know it's not in the same physical location. Um, so I, we are, we're there, I, I, I'm convinced. But having that data, having the surveyor to be able to recognize the integrity of this, understand just the Basics. What the heck is a datum, really? What are the iterations right. of the datum? Um, and and what are epochs? This is going to be a big deal. What are epochs? Now, surveyors in California and Western Washington and Oregon and Alaska, they're they're good with epochs. You know, stuff is moving. Uh, surveyors in Southern Louisiana and Texas, they're good with epochs on heights. They know what that's about. Right. But surveyors in that I mentioned Nebraska or Iowa or here, even here in Maryland, I, I say a, an epic at, at some conference here in Maryland. And they just, you know, they look at you like, you know, well, Dave just had one too many. Yeah. Uh, and this is where we are. You know, um, we, everybody demands that, that they have tools that, that are centimeter capable, which of course they are. Nobody goes out and buys one. Well, I want, only want the 10 centimeter one. Nobody buys that one. They might want the latest and greatest. Of course they do. And that's the right thing for them to do. But we're standing on a platform that's moving over a centimeter a year, a centimeter and a half. Most of the, the contaminants in the United States is moving a centimeter and a half a year. And if we're not going to deal with that, our data is not going to have integrity, right. and it's not going to be trustworthy. So I'll go right back to what, what Brent was talking about. And exactly. that's really important. Well, that's something I, you know, that you, you've been uh, – Kind of beating the drum on for the especially the last several years uh, with the whole 2022 movement that started a while yep. ago and 2008 so, and yeah exactly and and that's something yep. that i've also I've, i reiterate um you know based upon what you've you've given us um that people have to i mean surveyors need to realize it is 
what they're collecting, it is a snapshot in time that yep. that's that position of that entity of whatever that improvement is. Like you just said, somebody, you know, the homeowner that's moved the, the, the iron pipe. Well, yep. on this date, a week before at this time, this is where this was. And this is a, mm-hmm. this is a legal record of, you know, that I'm, I'm certifying to as a surveyor, you know, and that's, yeah. and that's the same thing when it goes into, I from, for my, for my take is that, you know, a topographic survey, that is that snapshot in time. And we, right. to know exactly where everything is on that day at that time, uh, you know, cause I, there's just, there's so much that can change. And I, and I, and you hit on it very well talking about GIS now being, you know, it's not a mainframe computer. It's, it, it is in our laptops. It's in our, it's in our servers, you know, with, with the invention of the digital twins and the data collection we're doing, that's really, really like, that's a legal record. And yeah. I, I think that to me, that's where the surveyor needs to be involved to say, yes, it's tech. It's right there, right here, right now. Um, that I think we've got to be a little careful on, like you said, the UAVs and, and how, you know, at what point, time does some of this you know i because it worries me with uh with the uavs some of the handheld lidar things that are going on the the slam technology that's coming in which all are great tools and i think that's one thing we've got to make sure that that uh you know and you've stressed for years it isn't the tool it is it's the Mm -hmm. it's the integrity of that data and how it was collected so Uh, absolutely no Uh, you know and and Particularly as, as Brent was pointing out, you know, how, how so many of particularly the people who were involved in GIST, I mean, you know, the GIS professional, GISP rather, sorry, um, they, they are understanding the foundation. And I agree with that. My personal interaction, though, with the vast majority of people who are managing or working at a high level in their community or organizational GISs, really don't have the, the full understanding, uh, particularly at the high accuracy levels that surveyors deal in, and that increasingly other disciplines are going to demand. Right. Um, and to, again, to me, this is an area where, you know, as Brent pointed out, you know, cats out of the, out, out, out of the house, um, surveyors let that one go 25 years ago, 30 years ago, whatever it is. Right. Okay, now, either they step up and they take this, they, they recognize it, first of all, recognize it, you know, and they deal with it. Uh, they take advantage of it. They, they get that knowledge, that basic knowledge of what this is about. And, and NGS and others of us provide some of those opportunities, but get that knowledge so they can be that support to the, to the GIS organizations that are going on out there. I, I comment whenever I give a presentation now on the new datums, I, I, I make a comment that when we finished NAD 83 in the summer of 1986, one of my functions was to go around the country and assist uh, other groups with the migration from NAD 27 to NAD 83. And it didn't take long. I mean, literally, it took me a couple of months to figure out there was almost nobody to talk to. Uh, right. There were a few federal agencies. Yeah, literally, <laughs> uh, there were a few federal agencies: USGS, Corps of Engineers, a um, little bit of the Bureau of Land Management, um, uh, TVA, and you know, Bonneville Power. A few feds that had a modest amount. Uh, USGS 
notwithstanding, had a modest amount of NAD27 data. Um, a few state agency, Caltrans, Minnesota, North right. Carolina Geodetic Survey, South Carolina Geodetic Survey, but but they were by and large fairly small. The average land surveyor, they didn't have any of that stuff. They didn't care. You know, it was not not a particularly big deal to the average surveyor. That is not the case anymore. Every yeah. almost every community down to the to the smallest, most rural county in in the country now has some form of a GIS. And the counties and the municipalities and the state agencies and federal agencies, the multitude that are all supported by surveyors. And they are sitting on, if I say mountains of high accuracy data, that does not do it justice. It's trillions of gigabytes of data, I think. Exactly. You know, that surveyors, surveyors in this community using GPS and doing all the stuff and using the National Spatial Reference System have have provided right and who understands that data who should understand that data better than the surveyor no one uh i i you know no it's i find that the vast majority of people that that, that have been involved in gis when they certainly functionally understand that yeah there's a datum everything's held together with a datum understanding the minutiae of that right you know in the case of in the case of the united states where we've had multiple several different iterations of NAD 83 and, and accuracy statements and those kinds of things. I, I don't get that warm fuzzy from the vast majority. So to me, that's where the surveyors have an opportunity here. Be those, be those professionals that all of these folks are going to rely on because I can pretty much guarantee that when this stuff hits, hits the ground in 2025, I think it's a, maybe mm -hmm. late 2025, what, yeah, it's what NGS seems to be predicting now. Those communities are just going to go, uh, what? Uh, where did this come from? Why? Why do we have to have this? You know, I, I'm working, you know, my, my community, my GIS is working just fine with NAD83 and, and AVD88. Why do we need to change this? Because I don't care how you do it. I don't care how great the tools are that NGS will develop, and they will be great. I guarantee you that. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a cost. There'll be a cost. There'll be a time frame. And it's, gonna, it's unlike anything we experienced before. When when I would deal with communities when we made that transition back in the in the eighties, people would ask all the time, "Do I need? Do I have to change?" And of course, no, no, you don't have to change. There's no there's no geodesy Gestapo out there that's going to make you change. That that doesn't <laughs> exist. But we have something now that we never had then, and it's and and it's not just the fact that you can go out with GPS. It's that now so many communities in, across this country. And, and across the world in many aspects, rely on some form of a real-time network. Right. You've got all these RTNs that are out there, and I don't care. It's not just surveyors. It's a, it's a whole range of other professionals that are buying into those RTNs because now I can jump out of the truck. I can stand there for 10 seconds. Boom, I got a position good to a couple of hundreds of a foot, and I move on down the road. That's how, how they rely on um, reaching the information the the reference frame and it's accurate and it's cheap and it's efficient and blah 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 and i can pretty much guarantee that almost overnight those folks are going to adapt to the to the new reference frame because they want to provide the best the latest and best and most accurate uh, information they can and even though ngs has not yet made a policy definition i'm fairly sure that the the nad83 coordinates on all of the cores the continuously operating reference stations right now 
they'll probably maintain those for about one year. And after that, nope, that'll be it. I mean, they'll still be out there. There'll be historical data, but right. they won't maintain Exactly. Them. No, which, no. which yeah. you're and right. So to me, this is a whole new thing. And you're right. I think it, that will be a good decision to, you know, just at some point you got to cut it off and move on. But I just, you know, for instance, I'm here in Illinois. We, we are yep. uh, two zones, east, east zone, west zone. Yeah. And to, you know, to, to talk to the local professionals, to my contemporaries and say, we're going to do away with the dual zone, that mm -hmm. we are going to do a single zone. Mr. Mm -hmm. Mr. Dr. Chris Pearson, wherever you are, the, your 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 brainchild for mapping purposes. Still in, just, New, still in New Zealand, I think. New Zealand, yes, exactly. Um, yeah. um, for mapping purposes, which is perfectly appropriate. Sure. But we're going to be, I think it's either 32 or 33 low distortion projections. And, yep. you know, I know enough about it that I'm excited about it, that I think it's going to be yep. a wonderful upgrade. It's going to be a wonderful change. But to mm -hmm. your point, I'm thinking of all of the counties, the municipalities, and our fellow professionals that are going to go, what was wrong with NAVD 83? That was just fine. Yeah. And yep. you know what? But it's not. And, and I, I'm, yeah. I'm so glad we are evolving. Um, but to your point that there's going to be so many others that are going to be jumping into this and into this because <sighs> We're to the point where we no longer want the Amazon guy walking up our front step. They, we want the drone to just drop <laughs> that stuff off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't. We don't want to talk to our Lyft or Uber driver. We're going to have an autonomous car come pick us up and take <laughs> us somewhere. Um, yep. All of that is is so reliant on what we're talking about here, and I don't know that yep. people ever really put that together. That that's yeah, and and. If you if you look at the heart of it and the and the requirement the requirements for those really high levels of positional integrity a, a centimeter or two a couple of hundreds of a foot whichever way you like to phrase it I I hope I hope most of your listeners are are not metrically challenged um, but nonetheless we we can see that that's going to be a requirement for our infrastructure if not if when we develop these other utilities like you know, um, efficient uh, 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 transportation systems that are driverless, you know, so we know that's coming. And again, I look at, at there will be problems in, in bringing data together, particularly when you start to look at um, legacy data. You know, communities are going to be sitting, uh, again, on mountains of legacy data, and now they're going to have new data, and they're going to want to bring all this stuff together. And coordinates will be a part of that, state plane coordinates, whatever form it takes. Who better than to be the individuals that are truly the professionals on this than our community within NSPS? And, and I think just taking that little step and, and getting that slightly better education on just, just the basics of, of the geodesy. What is the geoid? I, I, I joke, I, I joke about it. It's, it's not, really a joke, but I, I do joke about it. I, I, I'll go to a, a, a conference and I'll say, the geoid, the, the geoid. And, gotcha. and, the, and the, yeah, the, the great one, the, the, the holy grail, what's been basically the holy grail in geodesy for, wow, probably almost 200 years. Well, the definition varies from place to place and depending on who you want to talk to. It, it basically is, you know, an equal potential surface to which gravity is normal and most closely approximates mean sea level over the whole Earth. That should flow off the tongue of every surveyor. 
I know that doesn't. <laughs> you know, I know, of course, that doesn't. But I, I jokingly say, I said, look, when you leave here, get that tattooed on your left arm or something. Say, so you can always like look at it. Go, yeah, okay, I know what it is. T-shirt. Yes. Well, yeah, the great T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's to me, okay, surveyors have already been dealing with things like this. They need a bit more education across the board. There are certainly a a modest number that are right on it, right on top of it. Big time users, NGS recognizes that and they, they, you know, uh, and and they work with them. But that's a minor part of our community. And and I think those who who really want to participate, you know, in the next 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, um, they need to be a bigger part of this. And so again, up that game, just that tiny little bit, you know, to 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 get that basic knowledge that was never required for being licensed. It's not required. I think maybe California has a couple of questions on the exam, but almost right. no state says, "Hey, you got to know what the geoid is." You know, nobody says that when you're getting licensed in. Vermont, you know, or, or someplace else. Right, exactly. Uh, I think it should be, you know. But but th- then there'll be people who are coming in who are going to go, well, you know, what is this stuff? How is it working? Because now you're going to have this 300 million people pouring this stuff in. You're exactly right. And there's just so much data out there. And um, so I guess the takeaway I'm hearing from from this uh, sage, sage individual <laughs> Is that you know? Bottom line is, that we we the, the serving professional, we do have a responsibility. Like you said, we are licensed yes. for for specific yes. purposes, and part of this, like you were saying, with the uh, with the order of calls, the coordinates themselves are <laughs> are are coming up. I mean, because yep. of the technology, because of the tools, because of all of these conditions. The coordinates are coming up that list, um, whether officially or not. But uh, the fact of the matter is, they are, and it's really. I guess it comes back to to our ethics and uh, our responsibility to the yeah. public is to be educated in in what we're dealing with, and that's yeah. part of what this needs to be. We need to, we need to make sure you know we, we need to check our back issues with the GIS community at the door and go, where do we need to go from here and go forward about all of this data? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and the state, state associations need to be working aggressively to be partners with their state GIS uh, organizations, whatever manifestation that that has um, to reach out and, and be partners with them, you know, not adversaries, but partners with them. Right. Um, several, several states do a pretty good job. I'm, I'm very proud of what happens here in Maryland. The Maryland Society of Surveyors is a very active program, uh, but not all states do. Uh, and, and, and so I think there's, there's a lot of opportunities and challenges here for, for our community, for, for NSPS. And, and, you know, NSPS has great leadership and, and has lots of a- access to, to resources. Um, but all of that being said, and we start talking about this stuff, you start to look at, at uh, the geodetic professionals who are out there. Well, um, NGS now ha- fortunately now has all the regional advisors, not just state advisors, limited mm-hmm. by state. Yeah. All right, so you have, and these are all great individuals. Every one of them. Uh, yes, they uh, are. I think they're all terrific. Oh, they're 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 amazing. Um, the, the new advisor you guys have up there is just, I, I think, the world of him. He's he's, he's terrific. Mm-hmm. Um, but but they're limited. I mean, they they often cover three or four or five states, and they're one person 
and they don't have the, the resources to get out and be everywhere. You know, so the surveying community needs to be their backup, needs to be NGS's wingman, mm-hmm. if you will, in, in all of this. You know, to say, look, we realize NGS doesn't have people that can go out and wander around the country and and help these counties and municipalities and folks to do this stuff. You know, you've got one person who can come to one state conference or maybe two state conferences a year, maybe, but they can't be there on that day-to-day basis to help a a county move forward with the the new coordinate systems, new height systems. That'll be so important. And and that's where I think um, the state associations – can can you know really play a big role in in all of this and of course coordinating all of that with NSPS and AAGS and AAGS exactly yeah absolutely so there's a real partnership a, a symbiotic relationship here that that I think can be very very beneficial uh, and we have a good time to do it before it becomes overwhelming or we lose it oh exactly exactly. Well, I guess that's as good as any time. I've, we've pitched this a little bit, but uh, we are NSPS is partnering with uh, ERISA to do a virtual <laughs> survey and GIS summit, similar to what used to happen at the Esri conferences. In this world of COVID, we're going to try it virtually. So, but it's going to be uh, November third through fifth, and it's it's exactly what you're talking about, Dave. Is that it's um, it's surveyors and GIS all in the same room learning from each other because I think both sides have much to learn from each other. Um, Absolutely. And yeah, and that's part of what I think the, the, the surveying community has to just kind of suck up their pride a little bit and go, there's a lot, there is a lot to learn from, uh, from the GIS community and uh, what these tools are doing. It's not just AutoCAD and MicroStation and, and uh, StarNet and these things anymore. It's, there's a lot of great GIS tools out there for the surveyor. So yeah, there are, we got to yeah, be able to are. stay on top of that as well. All right. Well, um, I think we've kind of kicked the crap out of that question. So uh, <laughs> I mean, bottom line is, and I, I appreciate you taking the time to to talk about this because uh, because of the technology, because of where things are going, and, and like you just you explained with um, with the block threes and 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 everybody um, having this technology, it's just going to be a mountain yeah. of data. And that's one thing I always try to stress when I when I talk to to students is that if you're carrying around one of these cell phones, you're surveyor, you you're col- you're collecting you're data, you're actually collecting yep. data, and yep. uh, knowing. I, mean, I, I go ahead. Oh, I'm just going to say, I you, you know, you, you look at anybody's, if, those of us who are past 45 or 50, if, if you look at our cell phones, maybe we have 20 or 30 apps and we're checking our heartbeat and all this other stuff that we do. And I look at my kids, you know, and they're mm-hmm. in their 30s, okay? Uh, and they've, their phones are covered with apps. And you look at anybody who's younger than that, it's even bigger than that. Well, I think we can all... Imagine, if not really see, that the kids that are coming up now, they're going to anticipate when it's their time to go buy a parcel, to go buy a house, whatever it is. I, I don't want a piece of paper that tells me, that shows me my, my, my uh, location. You know, I don't want that. I want an app. And if I want to know where my coordinates are, I get in that app and I walk around and when the screen turns blue, then, okay, I'm on my corner. 
Yes. Um, I, I see that as, as happening. And again, I, you know, I know it'll come about in some form, you know, that's just my, my brittle imagination trying to figure out how, how it would look. But I think the surveying community can be a part. And if they're not a part of it, if they're not doing it, it will go right past them. Exactly. We've got to embrace it. to see that. We got to embrace it. We have it. to embrace it. Well, yep. you know, and I, but I think it was important to have this conversation to know kind of where we've come from and all the fantastic work that NGS has done all of these years building these datums to where we're, yes, we're on, we're on that, that the edge of the diving board coming up to, like I said, now 2025, but into yeah. a new reality with the, with the new datums and it, it's, it's exciting. A little yeah. daunting, but it's exciting. So yeah. I, I'd like to make a point here, and mm -hmm. it hasn't been mentioned. It certainly wasn't mentioned here or in the other two. Um, you were you were making a point about the the NSPS partnering uh, with Esri and the the, the the event coming up in November. I really want to make a, a, a give a shout out to NSPS for their continued ongoing participation with NGS. The vast majority of, of surveyors out there are totally unaware that every quarter there's an NGS uh, NSPS phone, phone meeting. It has been going on for several years. And so any surveyor anywhere that has any kind of issue with NGS, you can address it to your, your regional advisor or you can go to your uh, NSPS rep, or you can go directly to N NSPS headquarters. Send a note to Kurt. Kurt's got nothing to do. You know? <laughs> Send that note to Kurt. <laughs> Send that note to Kurt to say, hey, I want to know about this. And, uh, and NSPS will address that you know, with, with, uh, with NGS. So I, I want surveyors to be well aware that the whole concept behind the new datums is not something that NGS pulled out of their hindquarters because they've got nothing better to do. That is very much a collaborative effort with NSPS, and and um, that that that's a big you know that's a big pat on the back to me for for NSPS. Well, well, we we appreciate that. Uh, we we try to be the best partner we can be, and you know especially moving forward with the datums, uh, with the change in the 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 foot over the past couple of years. Yeah. With all of that, the NGS has been right there in front of us, advising us on things and where, where stuff is going. Yep. So uh, we couldn't ask for a better partner in NGS because they've yep. been they've they have included us in a lot of these things, and uh, it's it's been it's been great. So, uh, well, we've taken up enough of your time, uh, Mr. Doyle. That. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we'll, we'll let, let you get back to your, uh, to your, to your good life, <laughs> not talking shop all the time, but, uh, <laughs> no. so, but, uh, we appreciate your time. We appreciate your insight and, uh, really the, the history of a lot of this I'm stuff. And that's, honored. that to me is, is the most important thing is to know where we've been, how we've gotten here to better understand where we can go with it. And, uh, you've provided a, a, great deal of information there. And um, if you don't mind, I'm going to put you on a follow-up that uh, at some point in time, we'd like to get you back on and talk about, you know, sure. let's, let's talk about some data. Uh, let's talk no, about some other things. I, I, I love this stuff. And, you know, you, I'm, I'm glad you, you mentioned, you know, going back and looking at it because I, I know often at NGS when I would be involved in various meetings long before I retired, 
the agency was always looking forward, and that's what they're supposed to do. It's a science agency and a service agency, and they're always looking forward. But I'd always try to at least keep in there. And there were, there were others, people like uh, Ed McKay, who was my boss for a number of years, and, and others, Dave, Dave Zolkowski, of course, uh, that were very involved in, in ACSM. But we try and always reflect with NGS that you can't ignore the legacy. Surveying itself, which is the surveyors are the largest users of the National Spatial Reference System, that legacy is almost as important to, to the surveyor as the new data that's coming tomorrow in whatever project. And you know, so you've got to find ways to bring those things together. So that's, that's really, really important. Well, very good. Well, and that's one reason we wanted to have you on, because you provided uh, a, you. a great snapshot of that. And uh, We'll uh, we'll definitely do it again sometime soon. So, well, love to do it. Appreciate you being on. Well, that'll wrap us up for uh, what is surveying, and uh, we've got a couple more special guests coming up in the next oh month or two, and uh, talking about this a little bit further from different perspectives. And so, I mean, we've had Brent, we've had Linda, and now we, we've had Dave. Um, I think those have been three pretty good perspectives on what is surveying and. We're going to try to not let you down with the next one's coming up. So um, until next time, well, this is Tim Birch for NSPS and Surveyor Says, and have a good day. You've been listening to the Surveyor Says podcast, brought to you by the National Society of Professional Surveyors. If you have any questions about today's episode or any other topic, please email us at info at nsps.us.com, and we are here to help. Visit our website, nsps.us.com, to learn more about our association, the programs we administer and support, our sustaining members, and information about future episodes of Surveyor Says. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, as well as our podcast host, Podbean. And remember, it's a great day to be a surveyor. <laughs>